So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have to say is, have you just said, is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the fathers seek. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. The disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. 
Thanks, Sue. Keep your Bibles open. Kathy's going to um, dig into that. So it's my uh, pl- privilege to be able to introduce our guest speaker. Some of you may know her. She's been around for a while. Uh, and uh, and uh, she speaks, when she's not around, she speaks around the country. She's a writer, a communicator, lots of different festivals and lots of different churches. Um, but she's ours, and she's, she's my wife as well. So uh, let me invite Kathy up, and I'll pray for her. And... I got a whoop. And applause. Yeah. Of course you did. Let me pray for her. Father, I thank you for Kathy. I thank you for um, how you've gifted her. Father, I thank you for the message you placed on her heart. And just give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to what you want to say through her this morning. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. I was wondering how you would introduce me as your chef, your chauffeur, your better half. I don't know. No, maybe not. No, it is great. I am so... This is exciting, isn't it? So normally, as Mark said, I'm um, wafting around the country, speaking to other people and uh, all kinds of places, and I love that. And and when I'm at home, I'm often writing. I just worked out this morning, I think I've handed in over 70,000 words this year. It's been a busy one. Um, But I I love what I do. It's a real privilege. But let me tell you, one of the advantages of travelling to so many other places is realising how blessed we are here and how grateful I am for this church. It's just so wonderful to see what God is doing here at this moment. And that's not just because of the, you know, the ministry and the, the staff team. It's because of just the people in this church are just so amazing. So it is, it is great. It feels like a very special privilege to be here speaking this morning, especially, I think, in this series that I have loved. I don't know whether you have But just this whole thing about Jesus stepping in and encountering people and how their lives are transformed as a result. So to close this series and to think about one more person who God speaks, as we've just heard in this uh, this reading, is absolutely brilliant. But before I dig into that, I think you may have noticed over the previous weeks that when Mark has preached, he has shared with you his love of game shows on the television. It's a thing in our house. Now we're empty nesting. We're like, oh, should we watch Pointless? Yes, let's watch Pointless. But we've always loved a game show. But today I want to take you back to the halcyon golden era of the game show on television in the UK, which was the 1980s, indisputably. So if you're too young, I'm sorry. If you didn't live in the UK in the 80s, I'm sorry, but you missed out. We had great stuff. We had things like, do you remember Bullseye, the darts thing? Do you remember that? It was just fantastic. And, and, the, and the host would go, hey, just look at what you could have won, a speedboat. Do you remember that? And then we had, we had another series called 3 to one And everyone would sit around the country trying to do this thing that he did with his fingers. No one knew. It was magic. And if you didn't do well, you got a dusty bin. It was a bit sad, wasn't it? We had the generation game. I mean, it was, it was a golden time. Special, special times. But for me, in our family household, our favourite, the undisputed daddy of light entertainment, the highlight of the week was... No. No. We need to, that was the 90s. You were too young. No. It was blankety blank. Hit it, Graham. Are you ready for this? We've got, have we not got it? I'll give you a lot of build-up there, Graham. <laughs> that was just a moment. Okay, maybe we won't have it. <laughs> I had a nice little theme tune for you there, all sorted out in a... Hey! 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 
And if you came on and you were a participant, you went away with a blankety blank checkbook and pen. Not got any of those to hand out this morning. But we are going to do a bit of blankety blank together. So the idea was you were given a sentence, there was a blank word in it, and you had to think of the response to fill in the blank. So let's fill in a blank now. Here's one on the screen for you. Please, Santa, tell your neighbour what you think the answer should be. Please leave a blank under the Christmas tree. Tell your neighbour what you want. What are you looking for under your Christmas tree this year? Blankety blank, blankety blank. Do we have any good suggestions? Anything nice? Diamonds, Tiffany bracelet. I'm making suggestions, Mark. Are you listening? Okay, what about this next one? Let's put the next blankety blank one up. I want some suggestions. Keep it clean. It's a PG show. The trouble with our dog is that it always likes to sit on the blank on Christmas morning. What might it like to sit on? Any ideas? The turkey? Yes. The children? Yes, that's just wishful thinking. Yes. What might it be? So you get the idea. You get the idea. You fill in the blanks. So this morning, I'm going to extrapolate this to an extreme and use it really for us to think about filling in some blanks about this story about the Samaritan woman. We're going to fill in some blanks about her life. And I love this woman. I've come to really, really love her. But there are perhaps some assumptions that we make. There are some gaps in our knowledge when we think about this woman. And often we come and we make assumptions and we fill in a few of those blanks, maybe without really thinking too hard about them. And I'm just wondering if today... Jesus might want to step into this story again and fill in some blanks, not just about this woman, but also about us and our lives as well. So what do we know about her already? There's some things that we do know. We know, first of all, that she's unnamed. She's not given a name. She's just the woman at the well. So we know that about her. We also know she's a Samaritan woman. So this is her race. She lives in the area of Samaria. That's where she comes from. We know that she's out in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. And that, that might be unusual. That might indicate that perhaps that was, you know, she wasn't with other people in the, in the middle of the day. And in fact, we are also told that she's on her own which again might think, well, perhaps she is a bit of an outcast. Perhaps there's some issues going on there. And we also know, as you heard in the reading, that um, it's revealed that she has been married five times and now she's living with somebody else. Now, serial marriages were actually very normal at that time. It was expected with all kinds of reasons. But actually, socially, around three was kind of seen as the kind of like acceptable standard. Above that, kind of people start to raise their eyebrows a little bit. So we're looking at a woman here who is not probably living plan A for her life. She's probably not living plan B for her life. But she's found a way to live in her circumstances. She kind of knows the limits that she has, and she's found a way around it. She's going to the well in the middle of the day, and she's making the most of what her, her life is. She's learned to live with her reputations and the raised eyebrows. She's learned to live with her situation. But there are some blanks about her. There are things that we don't know. So what does Jesus... I don't know whether you noticed this. You can, I'm going to answer this for you. You don't have to shout this out. But there are some things here we don't know. So what does Jesus describe the woman as the well at? Let's put it up on the screen. Jesus describes the Samaritan woman as blank. A, sinful. B, misunderstood. Or C, 
truthful. Well, let me, let me dig into this with you. I think it's so interesting what assumptions we make about people and what labels we like to place on people. I don't know whether you've ever had anyone label you in a way that you, you didn't love. And I think often when we come to this passage, we immediately make some assumptions about this woman that she must be promiscuous, she must be immoral, and the truth is, she might have been. She might have been. But at no point in this conversation with Jesus does Jesus talk about the sin in her life. And can I just point out, he often does with other people. He does when he speaks to the woman caught in adultery. He does with Matthew the tax collector. He does with the man at the gate beautiful. But he doesn't actually call her sinful. But we do know that she's not of high status. We know she's probably not respectable. We know, frankly, she's got one heck of a backstory. But the reality is that women were a commodity in this culture at this time. They had no agency or choice in a lot of what happened to them. Women could be owned, they could be bought and sold, they could even be given away. Women were married young, very young, probably early to mid-teens, often to men who were much older. So it would be normal for them to be bereaved, for them to be widowed. And if their husband died before they had children for that husband, they would often just be passed to the brother. And then again, repeat as necessary. Divorce, by the way, was almost impossible for a woman to initiate. But a husband could get rid of his wife simply by saying, I divorce you three times over. And there were all kinds of reasons why it would be okay to divorce your wife, including if she burned the food. I would be in so much trouble, definitely. But also if she couldn't have children, if she couldn't have sons, if she was badly behaved, if her husband found someone he liked better, he could throw her out, he could keep the children or he could give her the children and there was no government support, there's no child support agency. The only chance of survival she had was to find somebody else who could take her in. So whatever the moral compass of this woman was or wasn't, we know that actually she has probably experienced some tough stuff. She may well well have been bereaved, divorced, abandoned. She's lived in many homes. She's faced many challenges. Frankly, I think she probably is a little bit B, misunderstood. Is it possible then, when we begin to think about all of that, that when Jesus says to her about her husband, go fetch your husband, It's not to condemn her, it's not to embarrass her, but actually is it because he wants to show her compassion? Is it potentially possible that Jesus looks at her and says, I know you, I see you, I see everything you have been through, I know how you feel, I know how you've been wronged, I know what you've done wrong. I know that the relationships that you have haven't worked out the way that you hoped for. I know you've suffered fear. I know you've suffered rejection. I know you've suffered grief. I know sometimes you feel that there's something intrinsically wrong with you. But I know you and I see you and I accept you anyway. Can you imagine what this would have meant to this woman at that well? It's amazing. Now, I resonate with this woman in all kinds of ways. I've grown to love her. And I remember very clearly when Jesus stepped in kind of at the well in my life, if you like. And I met Jesus with my own load of baggage. 
own labels. And some of you know my story. If so, feel free to snooze for five minutes. But I became a Christian at university. I was 19 years old. And I had been brought up um, in Bournemouth, not so far away. And things at home were tough some of the time, much of the time. And my mum and dad had a difficult marriage. And they got divorced eventually, but they'd split up. I don't know how many times before that, but it was, it was like living in warfare a lot of the time. Um, they did their best, um, but it was, it was tough. And after they got divorced when I was about 15, honestly, the bottom just came out of my world. I just did not know what to do. And I ended up in all kinds of trouble, went to places I shouldn't, did a lot of things I shouldn't, and a lot of things were done to me that shouldn't have been done either. And then I got to university And then the bottom of my world really fell out because I just didn't know who I was. And so I started to medicate that pain any way I could, just trying to block out the rejection, block out how I felt, how lost I felt, any way I could. And while I was at university, uh, a guy started to ask me if I'd ever heard about Jesus. And if I'm really honest with you, I was not interested in Jesus. But he was a good-looking guy, and I was interested in him. And so he began to tell me Jesus, and I was like, tell me more. And then he said, do you want to come to church with me? And I'm like, that sounds like a date to me. And so I went to church with him, but you need to understand it wasn't a church like this. It was a small brethren chapel in Plymouth with like 20 old people and an out-of-tune organ playing How Great Thou Art on repeat. And um, it, was, it was a really kind of interesting place. But I didn't know what to expect because I'd never been to church before in my life. And here's the truth. They loved me. They absolutely loved me. I turned up hungover wearing not a lot of clothes, and they still (laughs) loved me. They invited me for lunch. They invited me around for games night. People don't need a friendly church. They need friends. They need people to love. That's why we're all on the welcome team at church. People need family. For me, it doesn't sound like a game changer to be invited around for a games night, but for me, it was. For me, it was. I was desperate. To belong, And so I began to think maybe this thing about Jesus is true. If, if they could love me like this, maybe God could love me. And so I prayed a prayer. I didn't know it was a prayer. But I prayed a prayer and said, God, if you are real, if this is true, that you would love me so much that you would come to earth and you would live a perfect life and then die on the cross for the forgiveness of everything that I've done wrong and that's been done to me so that I could know you. If this is true, A, why has no one ever told me about it? Like, incredible. But B, I need to know. And one day I sat on a park bench, my well, overlooking a golf course, and an old guy walked past and he said, can I sit on the bench next to you? And I said, sure. And he said, well, young lady, I don't actually live in this country. I'm something called a missionary. And as I walked past you, I just knew that I had to tell you, God loves you so much. It was life-altering. Side note, if the Holy Spirit ever nudges you to speak to someone, just do it. You've got no idea what their story might have been leading up to that moment on a bench, wherever it is, across an office table in the playground. You've got no idea the prayer that they might have prayed, that you're the angel that God is sending 
in that moment. That was my well. Well, I was absolutely shocked, as you can imagine. Ran back to the um, university, found the chaplain. How must I give my life to Jesus? Help me. And, and it was incredible. And piece by piece, God began to rebuild the foundations of my life based on his unconditional love. He's still building. I've got a long way to go. But he saw me. And he knew me. And he loved me anyway. It was so beautiful. And I know that every person in this room today, you've got your own story, haven't you? And you've probably bumped into Jesus many times before, some of you. Maybe some of you not. And there'll be stuff about you (laughs) that people know. And there'll be some stuff about you that people don't know. And maybe people have made assumptions about you. Maybe there are some blanks over your life. Maybe people have made some label decisions about you, made some decisions about who you are, placed some limits on you, or maybe, frankly, you say them about yourself. I just love the fact that Jesus knows your backstory. He knows what's happened, and he knows why, and he loves you. He accepts you today. And the thing I love about Jesus is that I can be totally honest with him. I can be completely real with them. And in fact, that's the answer to this question. The answer is actually C. You know what Jesus says to her when she tells him about her situation? He says, you are truthful. You are telling the truth. What you say is right. That's what it means there. You are a truth teller. Of all the labels Jesus could have chosen for her, of all the names he could have called her, he chose truth teller truth teller. And you know what I love even more? Is that in this vulnerable place where the truth about her is exposed, he then reveals the truth about him. I don't know whether you realize this, but this is the first person in the Gospels that Jesus reveals himself as Messiah to. She's the first one. She's the one to hear the truth about who Jesus is. When he says, oh, you know um, the, the, the Messiah, the one you're waiting for? Well, I am here. He's resonating back to those words that God said to Moses at the burning bush. She knows these words. And he's revealing who he is to this woman at the well. Revelation about her leads to revelation about him. As she's honest and vulnerable, he opens up and reveals the most significant truth in human history to this woman at the well. It's an incredible moment. And as you get honest with God, you know what? You're gonna see God more clearly too. As you reveal the truth about yourself to God, you will see more truth about Jesus too. It's a wonderful divine exchange. So what does he offer her during this incredible exchange? Let's fill in the blanks. Jesus offers, the next slide, Jesus offers the woman blank. Still water, living water, or sparkling water with a hint of elderflower. Very nice too, very middle class, very waitrose. Now obviously, the answer is B. It's not a trick question. The answer is B, obvious answer. But let me tell you, this is not an obvious answer. This is not an obvious thing at all. This is a surprising conversation in a very surprising place. So let me tell you about Jacob's well. Jacob's well is in the area of Samaria, as we've kind of worked out. And if you think about the uh, geography of the region, you've got Judea at the bottom, you've got Galilee at the top, and wedged in between those two places is Samaria. 
But the Jews and the Samaritans do not get on. And that would be a giant understatement. They've been at hostilities for over 400 years at this point. Jews would often actually cross the Jordan to go around Samaria if they needed to get to Galilee, just so that they didn't have to go into Samaria and they didn't have to bump into Samaritans. But Jesus decides to half the journey time and go through Samaria. This would be an unusual place for a good Jew to go. Very unusual. And this well is at a junction. It's like a fork in the road. Still there. Someone from the nine o'clock service had been there. I'm so jealous. I'd love to go. It's at a fork in the road. It's at a waypoint, if you will. That's what it is. And it's a well dug on, the, on land that had bought been Jake by Jacob. And you might know this or you might not, but this land, Jacob on his deathbed actually bequeathed it to Joseph. Joseph and sons, him. And Joseph, Joseph then was, came and was actually buried on this land. So it's a very significant place in all kinds of ways. But I tell you what, it's not a place where good Jews should be because it's in Samaria. Surprising place, but an even more surprising conversation. This is a conversation that should not have happened. So first of all, get this, this is the longest conversation in the Gospels. It's the longest recorded conversation that we have in the Gospels. And yet, it's to a woman. And rabbis were really not supposed to talk to women. In fact, one of the rabbinic teachings says, one should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife. There you go. Some husbands here going, that sounds like a cracking idea. There were even Pharisees called, this is brilliant, there were even Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And they were called this because every time they saw a woman, they would close their eyes and then bump into things. And they were covered in bruises. But that's how committed they were to not engaging with women in any way. So if they didn't talk to women, I'll tell you what they definitely didn't do. They didn't have spiritual conversations with women. That would be a no-no. One of the rabbinic precepts says... Better that the words of the law should be burned than delivered to women. This is quite extreme. And I think it's really important when we read a passage that we remember it wasn't written in Britain in 2019. This is the culture in which it was written. And worse still, she's a Samaritan woman. Worst case scenario. But here's the amazing thing I love about this is that even though Jesus would have been ceremonially unclean if he even touched this vessel full of water, that Jesus sanctifies what he touches. He makes people clean. He doesn't see things as off, you know, off color and off duty. He sanctifies what he touches. He breaks down barriers. He restores. He rebuilds. He heals. He sets free. Here we have the holiest of men talking to the lowliest of women with not a hint of chauvinism. And in fact, through the Gospels, you see the way that Jesus treated women. It was incredible. It was so countercultural. And also, can I just say, without a hint of racism... He didn't see her as a Samaritan. He just saw her as a person. And he actually invites her curiosity. He's like, you know, she's asking these questions. How can you magic up water from this? Well, if Jacob couldn't, well, how are you going to do that? And what about where we worship? Because the Samaritans only used the first five books of the Bible. So their their knowledge was quite limited. And she's asking questions about it. And he's he's enabling her. He's saying, yes, yes, you know, let's have this conversation. It's extraordinary. And then he gets to the heart of the matter, which is this. She's thirsty. She's thirsty. 
She is seeking God. She wants truth. She wants acceptance. She wants hope. And Jesus offers her living water. In effect, he says to her, woman, you do not have to keep doing this. You do not have to keep coming out in the middle of the day trying to make things work for yourself. I have got something new for you. You cannot... Your own resources, your own efforts, you cannot dig deep enough here. You cannot put that bucket up and down that well enough to ever release in yourself what I can release in you. You need something that is living. You need something that is refreshing. You need something that can restore your soul. You need something that is never going to run dry. You need something that's never going to abandon you, that's never going to reject you, that's never going to kick you out. And I am the living water. If you're thirsty for hope, woman, you are in the right place today. Can you imagine? Just in one conversation, a thousand labels are removed. Her her identity was completely redefined. She goes from rejected to accepted, from shameful to hopeful, from self-sufficient to spirit-filled, from overlooked to purpose-filled, from outcast to influencer. And when we meet Jesus, like when he steps into our life, this is what he does. This is what he does. He redefines us. He gives us hope. He gives us a future. So what does she do? Let's fill in some blanks on the next screen. So leaving her water jar, the woman then, blankety-blank, she A, went back to the town and told the people about Jesus, B, signed up for a spiritual gifts course, or C, called the pastor to ask when the church would be doing some more evangelism. Obviously, the answer's C. (laughs) Sorry, no, A, that's right. Yes, let's get that right. No, I mean, this is a leading question. How could she do anything else? How could she do anything else? This woman abandons her pot. You know, just a bit like the fishermen left their nets. This woman leaves her pot. I think she knew she was coming straight back again. And she goes home to the village, to the town, to the people who, by all intents and purposes, we can guess were avoiding her. She goes back and she tells them, there's this guy, he knows everything, it's the Messiah, it's incredible. And you know what happens? The people who were avoiding her now start following her. They go back to the well with her. Isn't that absolutely incredible? This broken woman becomes, read, if you read the Gospels, she is the first evangelist. She is the first evangelist. She's the first person in the Gospels to share the good news about Jesus. Actually, just as a side note, I found this interesting. Someone here might. The Eastern Orthodox Church revere this woman. They call her the first evangelist. They give her a special feast day. They call her equal to the apostles. And they've actually given her a name because they didn't want her to be, remain unnamed. They call her Fotina, which means the enlightened one. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? Whether that's true or not, I just kind of love the fact that they did that. But the truth is she goes back and these people are now following her. And you can read in verses 39 to 42, many people believed in Jesus. Revival broke out. They invited him to stay. And he stays two days and then many more people become Jesus. What a place for an evangelistic rally. Samaria was never going to happen there. Incredible. In the least likely place, the least likely person receives the least likely calling. God is good. I wonder if you think about your own life, think about the areas where you're in. 
Where do you think that God is least likely to move? Who would you say that you know is least likely to believe? (laughs) And what would you say actually is least likely for God to call me to do? I have a feeling that God loves least likely. I need you to let you know when I was at university, I was known as the least likely person to become a Christian. And people thought it was a joke. They didn't think it was real. And then when I joined massive church that I ended up going to in Plymouth, nearly a thousand people, one of the leaders there said that I was the least likely person in that congregation to become a pastor's wife. (laughs) Maybe for good reason. Certainly didn't even mention the thought about me going into ministry myself. That didn't even cross their minds. And the truth is, if God can use me, he can absolutely use anybody. If you could have met me when I was 18 years old, if he can use me, he can use anybody. If he can use me to go and speak around the family, for, uh, the country for care for the family, if you knew half of the backstory of Mark and I and our extended families, you know, our families make EastEnders look functional. You know, the fact is, the fact that I can go around talking about care for the family is called the grace of God. It is the grace of God. There's no such thing as damaged goods in the kingdom of God. God isn't limited by your race or your gender or intellectual barriers. There's no sell-by date, by the way, whatever age you are. And I just wonder if God would love to rewrite some stories here today. Maybe some of us have got these labels on us, some assumptions have been made about us. And the thing is about labels is they can be flipping sticky, can't they? They can be hard to get rid of if someone says something over us. Sometimes they do stick. Some of us maybe need to come up to the well today. Maybe some of us feel limited. I wonder if God wants to speak some truth to you about your identity as a child of God and say to you, I see you. I know you. I know everything about you. I know what you've been through. I know the things that have been said about you. I know the things you say about yourself. Not good enough. Not spiritual enough, not clever enough, not whatever enough. Perhaps your life isn't plan A that you'd hoped for, hasn't worked out, and you're, you're not living really in the freedom that you thought you would, and you're making it work. You're going out to the well in the middle of the day. You're living within your limitations. You found a way to work within the story that has been written around you. But I wonder if God would look at you and say, I see you, but also I see your potential. I am not here to condemn you today. I'm here to show you compassion, and I am here to set you free, to put you on a different path, to rewrite your story, to put on you a new label that says something completely different. I know your backstory, but far more importantly, I know your future, and I will give you the spirit in you that will be a stream that will be in you forever. Jesus still steps in today. I love the season of Advent. I love the fact we're coming up to Christmas because this season is about Jesus stepping in, stepping into our messy humanity and giving his life for us. And this living water, this story, don't let it get old, will you, and you? This living water that we've got is ours to go back and share. I wonder if God would say to us today, those of us who know him and who are following him, you know what? Get back to your village, get back to your town, get back to your workplace, get back to your neighborhood, get back to your friendship group and share the living water that I have given you. Take some of those Christmas explored leaflets, give them to people, invite them. Do not fill in the blanks for people. 
Do not make assumptions about who is going to follow Jesus. It could be the least likely people who will have their lives radically transformed. I've got an idea. Why don't we mess up the Alpha course in January, February time? Why don't we make it a nightmare for Bev and for Steve so that this place is so filled that they've got logistical headaches of people? Why don't we fill this building with people who are thirsty to know that God loves them and that they have a reason to be alive, that they are forgiven and that they can be free? But I wonder, have you ruled yourself out maybe from God using you? Do you think, well, he's not going to use me. I'm the least likely person. God loves using the least likely. So what was she, this woman? I've got a few words I'm going to stick up on the screen now. She was a spiritual seeker. She was a truth teller. She was a receiver of living water. She was the first evangelist. So I wonder about you. Who does God say that you are? What does he say to you? And I've deliberately left time today for us to spend some time to reflect because I think Jesus wants to meet you at your well time and time again. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Like, do you come like I do to church hungry and thirsty? for God just to meet you again today. I just think he wants to move today. I think the Holy Spirit would love to do some work in our lives today. I think there are some labels that the Holy Spirit would like to remove today. I think there are some things that have been said over you or maybe you are saying to yourself and it's time to put them down. That vessel of shame and hard work and self-sufficiency that you keep trying to do it on your own, it's time to put it down today to remove that label. Some of us are tired. We need, we need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. God wants to say something new over you today. A new word. And I hope you got given a label on the way in. If you didn't, you can get one on the way out. Don't worry. But I've given that to you because I just want to give time for you to think about what God would say over you. And if you've got a pen in a moment after we've prayed, you might want to write something on there. You could write it later if you want to. That's fine. What does God say about you? Years ago, I had a great friend called Vicky. She died really young. And she was a great friend to me. And she once gave me a mug that's now on my dressing table with my makeup brushes in it. And on it, she had painted two words, connector and champion. And she said to me, Kathy, you are a connector of people and you are a champion of causes. I can't tell you when I opened that mug, it was like God rewrote so much of my history where I felt like a failure and I felt like an embarrassment and I felt so much shame. No, I'm a connector of people. I'm a champion of causes. What would God say over you today? And we're just going to spend some time in prayer and we're not going to rush it just i'm going to ask holy spirit now god would you just come and speak a word tell us how do you see me chosen forgiven warrior
Holy Spirit, would you just come and drop a word how you see me? Just receive it. As you hear the word, just receive it in your heart with thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. He's at the well looking at you. some people here have got some labels that they know they need to surrender and get rid of and and I would just say to you the prayer ministry team are here for times like this at the end of the service if you need to do some business with God if you want to pray into what God is saying just a moment more though what's he saying to you in all our fullness. You've seen who we are. You've seen who we were. You've seen everything that we've done wrong. You've seen every way we've been wronged. And you define us as a child of God because of your incredible grace. Actually, if we just keep our eyes closed for a moment, if there is anybody here this morning who says, you know what, I've... I've never met Jesus. I've never been to this well. I've never been received by Jesus. And I know that I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be set free. I want to be forgiven. I want a fresh start. I want to know this spirit in me. I want to live life with God. And I've never done it before, actually. Just in the quietness with everyone's eyes closed, it would be so wrong, wouldn't it, to think about this well and to not have a life transformed here today. If there is anyone here who would like to just follow Jesus for the first time and say, I want to become a, I want to become a follower of Jesus, could I just encourage you in the quietness just to put your hand up and say, yes, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I don't want to do life without you. I don't want to be defined by others. I want to be defined by what you say about me. I want to know your love. I want to know your forgiveness. we are all thirsty here today to know you and so if you're able to can I just invite you to stand 
stand together as family and say, Lord, we're thirsty here. We want to be full of your spirit and God. We want to be people who share your spirit. We say, here I am, Lord, send me. I am the least likely person you could use, God, but I pray you would use me for your purposes, that you would call me, you would anoint me, you would equip me, you would send me out, God, that I would leave this place knowing that I am not anything other than who you say I am, that I am a child of God, that I've been forgiven, that I have been set free, and that you are the only one who can give me living water. I can't do it for myself, God. I do not have it in me, but with you in me, All things are possible. Your grace is enough. We love you, Lord. And as we worship you and think about your grace, we say, thank you. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for setting us free. In Jesus' name. Amen.